So I want you to think with me about thirst. Thirst. Uh, have you ever really been thirsty? You know, uh, thirst is, a, is an insatiable desire for something liquid, the compelling need for water. So have you ever had that? Have you ever had that, that, that thirst, the kind of thirst where you wanted a drink of water more than anything else in the world? I mean, imagine, imagine crossing a desert, you know, and, and uh, you've, you've run out of water, and you still have a day to go, and you get to that place where water becomes a matter of life and death. And you thirst. You've just got to have it. You, it becomes the most important thing to you. Survival. Something you would give up anything else to have. You're, you're, you're not going to make it unless you get water. You would give everything you have for that drink of water, wouldn't you? Well, I wonder if this is a kind of thirst which we read about in the Bible where people had a thirst for God. I, I don't think a lot of people today realize they even need God. They don't recognize the barren condition they are in, the desperate need they have, and therefore they don't have the thirst that is necessary to be filled with the presence of God. In our study of the people Jesus met, uh, there was a woman he encountered who had tried a lot of things to satisfy her earthly needs, but it took an encounter with Jesus for her to really come to grips with what she needed most. We see her story in John chapter 4 as we continue our study in persons who were of great interest to Jesus. And as we look at this in the Bible, let me tell you what I think we can find. We can find that we're a lot like these people. So turn to John 4 with me in, your, in the Word. I hope you have your Bible. This is my Bible. I believe it is true. It is my life. And I hope you have one and that you can look along with me. But I do have the, the verses on the screen for you to take a look at also. John chapter 4. Now let's do something. Let's stand and honor God's Word this morning. I just want to read some verses to you. And then we'll look at a few more, but let's start in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Let me just say to you, the Samaritans, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans because they were, it happened, you know, in their ancient past when the Jews were carried away into captivity in Babylon, and these people moved into their homes. I'm just going to break it down, make it elementary like that. They moved into their homes, and how would you like it if you went back after a long period of 70 years and somebody else was living in your house? You wouldn't like those people very much either, and the Jews did not like the Samaritans. But Jesus said he needed to go through Samaria. So, he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat 
down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria, sixth hour. The Jews said the hour started at six in the morning. So six in the morning is, the, you know, is when it starts. The sixth hour is noon. It was 12 o'clock. So a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to this woman, give me a drink of water. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Well, then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Talking about the water in Jacob's well. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. For the water that I shall give him will become in him, in him, a fountain or a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, I've heard of all kinds of water. I've heard of salt water and fresh water and sweet water and power water and seltzer water and all kinds of water. But today, I want us to take a look at living water. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, and I'm excited about it. I love your word. It is my, my life, and I praise you for it. And thank you that you loved us enough that you gave us your word to teach us how to please you and know you and serve you. And God, thank you. Your word gives us the hope that we have for the future and eternity. And it's going to tell us today about living water. I pray that we'll receive everything you want us to know. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. So... We're looking, continuing our message on person of interest, and it was early in Jesus' ministry. He had already begun preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing those who were sick. One of the things we don't often recognize about Jesus is that he also was baptizing people. Now, we think about John the Baptist baptizing people. We looked at him last week, but Jesus was baptizing people, and it was very important to his ministry. John the Baptist, we saw that last week, he baptized people in water as an expression of the inward good experience of believing in him and following him. John the Baptist is an example of commitment for us, but we need to follow Jesus' example of baptism. You see, Jesus baptized people in water who hadn't met him who had received Him as their Messiah or Savior. And that's what we should do as we baptize. You know, people say, well, what's a Baptist church? A Baptist, well, a Baptist church might be a lot of things, but one thing it is, we baptize people. We put them under the water, you see. In our church, we practice believer's baptism. Baptism after a person believes. That's why we don't baptize infants. We dedicate infants, but... Some people think that water washes away sin. And I've met a lot of people who were baptized as babies and they somehow think that they're right with God 
because their mom or daddy baptized, had them baptized or christened as babies. Folks, that water is just H2O. It is two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. It's just water. And folks, if I thought that, it, listen, if I thought that baptism pool would save you and get you to heaven, I wouldn't stop there. I'd tell Duke and the rest of those guys, let that thing run over to We'll just fill the whole place with water. But that won't get you there. So, we, we, so baptism is an outward sign as something that happens inwardly. And that's why baptism ought to be a priority in our Christian life. If you haven't been baptized, you need to be. Not because baptism saves from sin, but because it is an outward testimony of one who has been saved from sin. So therefore, in verses 1 through 4 we read, When the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, He made them disciples and then baptized them. You see? Made and baptized. So, they became disciples first. They, fought, they committed themselves to follow Jesus, and then they were baptized. He made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did the baptizing. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, let's look at another point to consider here. Jesus himself was not doing the baptism with his own hands, but he was instructing his disciples to baptize in his name. Now, I can just see the picture of this. Can you picture it with me in your mind? You know, here's the Jordan River out here, and people are the Sea of Galilee or wherever he was, and the disciples and the people who were committing their lives to follow Jesus, they were going down in that water, and those disciples like Peter and John, and they were baptizing those people in, in the water. You know, we go into the water like this. You know, I say, when we're up there, if you haven't, maybe you're new and you haven't seen our baptisms, I say, put your hands across your chest. That's like a symbol of death. And go under that water with me, and I'm going to help you get down, help you get up. And you go under, like, well, the old Donnie Lovett is gone, and now I'm coming out, and I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. I'm telling people that Jesus has already come in my heart, but I want you to know it. I want you to know it. You see, and I can see those disciples baptizing people like that, putting them under that water and raising them up. That's exciting to me, to, to be a witness before others, to give a, a physical testimony, a water testimony. That Jesus is living in my life and he's made a new person out of me. So, as Jesus was drawing more people to him than even John the Baptist, he shook up the Pharisees and stirred a lot of questions for Jesus. But it was not time for Jesus to argue with these Pharisees. For he had more important work to do. Verse 4 says he needed to go through Samaria. He left those Pharisees in Judea. He left their arguments in Judea, and he went to Galilee by the way of Samaria. And that word, he needed to go, literally means he had to go. Jesus felt like he had to go through Samaria. Not because it was geographically necessary, but because there was a person of interest there. And let me just interject something here. 
Jesus could have stayed in Judea and argued with those Pharisees. But if he had, what would that have accomplished? You know the rest of the, we know the rest of the story, don't we? We know what happened. We've re, we're reading about it today. So what if Jesus had stayed in Judea and argued and argued and argued with those Pharisees to try and convince them of his kingdom? What would that have accomplished? Would they have turned to faith in him? Would they have believed and followed him and turned others to faith in him? Well, what do you think? What about those Pharisees? Did they have a mass turning to Jesus? We see it in the Bible. What did they do? Did they turn to Jesus or turn against Jesus? They turned against Jesus. And all the arguing in the world and all the trying to convince them in the world would not turn them to faith in Jesus. Friends, the Lord Jesus called us to go into this world and sow the seeds of His kingdom. And as we sow, some seeds are going to fall upon soil that will receive it. And it will spring up into faith in their lives. But most of the seeds we sow will fall on the ground and they will not be received. And you know something? We could keep sowing and standing in one spot and sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and arguing and arguing and preaching and preaching. And we could do that over and over again in one spot trying to get that hard head and hard heart to receive Jesus. And we could miss all that field out there. Jesus didn't call us to do that. He called us to sow everywhere we go. And He meant to walk through the field. Walk through the field and sow. And as you go through your field, your world, and you sow, some's going to fall on good ground. You know, there's, listen to me, there is a time to argue, and there's a time to offer an apology for the truth of the gospel. But that time is small compared to the time we must take to sow the seeds of His kingdom everywhere. You know, the, the choir saying to reach something. Do you remember, were you listening what they were saying? Go and reach what? The what? The world. The world. It might start on your street. It might start in your house. But we are called to sow the seeds everywhere. And Jesus is our example. He could have stayed in Judea and spent years of his life trying to convince those Pharisees that he was the Messiah, and they still would not have believed. But if he had stayed to argue with these hypocrites, Jesus would have missed all these other people, thousands of people, who needed the gospel and who had a thirst for the truth. That's why I went to Samaria. The woman in Samaria, that woman would, would have been one he missed if he had stayed to argue in Judea. Now that's why Jesus had to go through Samaria, because there was a person of interest there, a person who would recognize her thirst for his water of life. Verses 5 through 8, stay with me in the word here. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
a woman, it was noon, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for the disciples had gone away to, into the city to buy food. Jesus sent those disciples away. He had to have a personal encounter with somebody. <clears throat> so he sent them to buy food. He went to the well at noon. He stops outside this little village of Sychar at the well, which had been used since the days of Jacob for fresh water for the village. Water's always been necessary for life. In ancient Israel, people gathered water from lakes, rivers, streams, cisterns, and wells like the one in our story. I have a picture of an, perhaps an ancient well. Uh, water was used for cooking, bathing, agriculture, watering livestock. Ancient wells were off, often hand-dug, and they had covers. Wells were an important part of community life. It was a responsibility of the young women to go to the well in the morning and gather water for their families. They carried water back in pitchers on their heads or on their shoulders. When they came to draw water, these young women usually met other women. They talked about things and sometimes they met the young men because the young men had discovered that if you go to the well in the morning, you can see the young ladies and a lot of a lot of relationships began there. Betrothals began around the well. That's not what was happening with this Samaritan woman. Because it was the heat of the day. It was noon. And Jesus had journeyed on foot. He was tired and thirsty for water. So he asked this Samaritan woman for a drink of water. She had come to draw water. Probably again with a clay pitcher or pot just as those other women had done for thousands of years and continue to do in poor countries today. And so Jesus, seeing her, gave her a simple request. Give me a drink of water. He didn't ask her for something she could not do, something beyond her ability. Jesus asked her to give him something she had obtained many times before, water. Now, while this was a simple request, it was an important way for Jesus to relate to the woman's need. You know, this, folks, this was not a good woman. The very fact she had come at noon during the heat of the day was to avoid seeing other women of the village who came during the coolest parts of the day, such as morning. She had come to avoid embarrassment from the women of the village because she was not living a good life. Instead, though, she encountered the holiest person on earth, Messiah Jesus. And Jesus asked her for a drink of water. Instead, she gave him some doubts and excuses. Notice with me verses 9, 9 and 10. Then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jew, Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... You know, if you knew what God wanted to give you, that's what he said. If you knew what God wanted to give you, and who it is who is offering, who is there before you, the one who can give it, and if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me the drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you what kind of water? Living water. Living water. Well, now, why didn't this woman know who Jesus was? Because she'd never met Jesus. She was not 
seeking a Messiah, a Savior. This woman was content to live in her own little wicked world, in her own little addiction. And that's what it was. Because this woman had been used by men over and over again, and the man she was with at that moment was not her husband. She was practicing a lifestyle of immorality, and she would have continued in that terrible pattern if Jesus had not seen her as a person of worth, created by God for something much greater than the sinful life of bondage in which she was living. So Jesus sowed the kingdom truth, and he watched to see how it would be received. His offer of living water opened the door to a conversation, to more truth. Notice notice verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of, the, of this water in Jacob's well will thirst again. She understood that. She came to the well every day to get water. So whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst, but the water I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Let's put it together, will you? Help me, help me make this little equation here. Living water equals everlasting life. See? Living water, drinking living water, will give you eternal life. That's what Jesus was trying to tell her. This was the truth this woman needed. The truth of eternal life through Jesus Christ. This eternal life, living water, was her greatest need. Not water from Jacob's well, but the kind of water that can always satisfy every thirst, the water of life that flows from the life giver, Jesus. And this is how he called her to drink from this well of living water. And this is how Jesus calls people today to drink from this well of living water. So let's look at it. Let's break it down. How to drink from Christ's well of living water. Number one. Say it with me. Recognize Jesus as our greatest need. Now everyone has a God-sized hole in their heart. Did you know that? Everybody. That cannot be filled with the things of this life. You know, uh, our little grandson Tommy has these little toys and you put things on them and he'll try to put a round thing sometimes in a place that won't fit, you know. I mean, that's just the way it is, you know. And, uh, uh, and when we have those have children that have you know that little toy they have I remember our kids growing up they were, you put a, a a circle through a circle and a triangle through a little cutout triangle and a square you know what I'm talking about and they will try to put the square through the triangle or the hole the round circle hole they try but it just won't fit well guess what there's a God-sized hole in the life of, in the heart of every person, and only God can fill that. Only God. Nothing else. Everyone needs a relationship with God, the God who created them. And nothing but a personal relationship with God can satisfy 
that most important need. And that's why Jesus traveled to Samaria to help this woman see her need. Jesus told her about the living water she needed and that truth, that promise of eternal life, it moved this woman. It drew her heart to Jesus in a way, in a way she had never experienced. This man, Jesus, was not talking to her like these other men who had used her. Jesus was giving her something real, something important. She was drawn to Jesus and the words He spoke, the message of eternal life. Friends, this world is so wicked and Satan is using the things of this world to attract people away from God. However, everything in this world that people are embracing will fail or fade away or lead to destruction. So the best that we can find in this world, the things the best people find in this world, is still only going to satisfy their temporary desires. And it's going to do nothing for them when they get stand before God. All the gold in this world, all the riches, all the things of this life, they're going to be useless when people leave this body and stand before God. What we really need, what everyone needs, is something that can give an unending fulfillment of forever love, of forever joy, of forever peace that is like a fountain within that just keeps bubbling up and refreshing over and over again. It's the living water that Jesus offers. And it only comes from Jesus. Jesus offered this woman that kind of water. He offered to give her a well within her, a fountain of water. He said, you see Jacob's well? It won't satisfy forever. But the well I have that I'll put in your life, it will. It'll be a fountain that just goes on and on and on. And when she heard this, she wanted it. The seeds of the kingdom had fallen on good ground. And unlike the Pharisees who had rejected it, who argued against it, this woman received it. The woman said to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water. Will you read that with me and let it sink in? Let's read it. Here's what she wanted. Ready? Go. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She wanted to be done. She wanted to be this part of her life coming in the heat of the day. She wanted it to be over with. Hallelujah. She wanted better than this. I don't know what you have today and what you're going through and what your life is like. But I hope you want something better than this life. She got it. She understood it. She might not have understood every aspect of this living water, but she knew the one who could give it to her. And that brings us to the second way to receive this living water, and that is to receive Jesus as the Savior and the source of eternal life. Receive Jesus as the Savior and source of eternal life. Now, there's only one Savior for all people. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one God, 
and one mediator between God and man, that's the man, Christ Jesus. Simon Peter said, There's no other name under heaven given whereby we can be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father unless he comes through me. You know, people who hear the truth from us may not understand all of it. They might not understand deep spiritual things, but they can understand this, that there is one Savior, Jesus Christ, because He is the only one who died on the cross to pay for our sins. No other religious personality has done that or could do that. There is one Savior, and receiving Jesus as our personal Savior is necessary for us to have that living water and eternal life. Our calling is not to make them believe, it's to get people to Jesus. So what do we do? What do we have to do? We have to receive Jesus as the Savior and source of eternal life. Do I have, do I have my next slide up there? Receive, you're working on it, okay. We'll keep going. So we have to recognize our need for Jesus, and then we have to receive Him as our only Lord and Savior. See, people try to put their trust and have other saviors, but there can only be one Savior. There can only be one person that we receive that, for eternal life because Jesus is the only one who can give living water. I, listen, I can give you a bottle of water. I can give you a cup of water but I can't give you living water. Who's the only one who can do that? Who? Jesus. So we have to receive him as the, our only Lord and Savior. And by the way, there's only one Savior again for all people. It doesn't matter who they are. Now, no other religious personality, and the leader of all these religions, nobody else has ever died on the cross and, and paid for our sins. No one could because everybody else dying on the cross would have had to die for their own sins. But Jesus died for our sins. And so there is one Savior and receiving Jesus as our personal Savior is necessary for us to have that eternal life and living water. Now our calling, folks, is not to make people believe. I want you to understand that. Uh, go and reach the world. Well, our calling is not to go and threaten the world. Our calling is not to go and force the world. Our calling is to go and bring the world, introduce the world to Jesus. That's what our calling is. Introduce the world to Jesus. And that's what our world needs today. Folks, there are some children growing up in America. They've never even heard of Jesus. Can you believe it? You and I learned about Jesus when we were little, didn't we? But there are people today in America, even in America, that have never even heard of Jesus. We need to introduce this world again to Jesus. It's not up to us to save someone. It's not up to us to change someone's life. But it is up to us to show them the truth of Jesus. To introduce them to His love and peace and joy because no one has a greater need than to have eternal life and peace. And Jesus is the answer to that need. He alone is the life giver. We cannot help them find the life, love, and joy, and peace of Jesus if we don't have it ourselves. And to have it, we must do the same thing Jesus told this woman. So one was to recognize that he's our greatest need. Number two, to realize that Jesus is the only Savior and Lord and receive him. And then Jesus said to her, listen to these words. Jesus said to her, verse 16 through 18, Go call your husband and come here. 
The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one, the man you're living with now is not your husband. Folks, it don't matter if it's back then or now. You're not supposed to live with somebody until you get married. You're not supposed to have sex before marriage. And so, it's, so Jesus is saying to that woman, you are living in sin. You spoke that truly. She confessed that. What did Jesus ask this woman to do? To confess her sins to Him. Now that's the third thing we need to do to have the well of living word that Jesus gives. Number three, repent of our sin and turn completely to Jesus. Now Jesus was calling this woman to repent of her sinful lifestyle. He didn't condemn her. He didn't criticize her. But neither did He act like everything was okay. It was not okay. The woman was separated from God and from his life. So Jesus just loved her and told her the truth about herself and her need. He called her to turn away from her sin and turn to him. We talked about that in our study of John the Baptist, how he called people to repent of their sins. Repentance of sin is necessary if we're going to be forgiven and receive Jesus into our hearts and lives. The, let me tell you that Jesus loves you too much to share you with anybody. Now, that's the truth. He's not going to share you with others or with anything. He's not going to do it. He loves you. He wants you to love Him with all your heart more than anything else. That's what Jesus wants to do. If you want Jesus, you've got to want Him to fill your life. You must thirst for Him. This woman who was living in sin was trying to satisfy her need through relationships with multiple men. She thought her greatest need was for companionship or a relationship or fleshly satisfaction. What she found out was that all these men, they could not satisfy her greatest need. Sinful relationships were not a real need. Her deepest need was her need for God. Our greatest need is not to be accepted by people, it is to be accepted by God. Now, I know that's not what our culture is preaching today. Our culture today, in almost every area, whether it's politics, academics, the media, and entertainment industries, they're all promoting a godless message. So when we present the truth of Jesus Christ, our message runs counterculture. When we talk about having values and morality and decency and faith, that's the opposite of what we're being told every day. We must realize that as Christians, our message and our lifestyle is counterculture. And make some people angry. Jesus had a message that was counterculture. It made some people of his day angry. But as I said, Jesus left those doubters and kept sowing the seeds of truth and salvation. And one of those seeds landed in the heart of a woman in Samaria when she heard his voice, the voice of Jesus, the life giver. She wanted that new life that he could give. So Jesus said to the woman, the same thing he's saying to people today. Repent of your sins. Confess your sins to God. Abandon that sinful lifestyle and I'll give you a well of eternal life and joy that will never run dry. Now, I like that promise. I like the promise of a fountain flowing, a fountain of life flowing in me. That's refreshing. You know, it challenges me, but then it encourages me. Do you ever feel that way? Folks, that's what it's supposed to be. That's what this message is supposed to be. That's what this is all about. It, the Word of God should challenge us every time we come. The Word of God shouldn't always give us the warm fuzzies, folks. We need adjusting. And the Word of God ought to challenge us and bring us to that place where we think and we say, Oh God, create in me a clean heart. 
This coming to church and worshiping, it ought to be worshiping God. And then we listen to God and we say, God, what do you want to say? What needs to be cleaned out of my life? And God challenges us through His Word. And then when we do what God says, we can leave refreshed again. That's what this well of living water is about. We who have received Jesus know this fountain of eternal life is the Holy Spirit, the presence of God within us. In John 7, we read on that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, Holy Spirit, whom those believing in Him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That was the missing part in this woman's life. She was allowing other people control, to control her life instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to control her life. Even though the Holy Spirit would not come to indwell believers until after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, God's Spirit was still at work in the world and would help anyone who wanted to live a godly life. So Jesus gave her the next part of the instructions for having that relationship with God and having His well of living water, and that's number four. Release control of every part of life to the Spirit of Christ. Now, look at verses 19 through 24. So the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem's the place where you ought to worship, at the temple. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers everywhere will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. This woman, like all people of that day, was struggling to understand this new concept of a relationship with with God. Relationship with God in those days meant being part of the Jewish nation, being one of the children of Israel. That's what this Samaritan woman was talking about, about the difference between the Jews and the Samaritans. In Jesus, we're all brought together, you see. One family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Jews believed they were the only true people of God. That worship could only take place at the Jerusalem temple. But Jesus came not just to call the Jews, but sinners to repentance and relationship with God. He had already told Nicodemus in order to, be, to enter the kingdom, you had to be born again, born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, so God the Son would give His life on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins, so that through repentance and faith in His shed blood, the Holy Spirit can come to live within us and transform us into the children of God. When the Holy Spirit lives within us, He is the well of life, the fountain of life from which flows God's love, joy, peace, patience, all those things which we see in Jesus. Recognizing our need for Jesus, repenting of our sins, receiving Jesus as Savior and source of eternal life, and releasing control of every area of our life to Him. That leads us to a true worship of God, a real and personal life with God. I like how Dr. Rodney Whitaker put it in his commentary on John, the Gospel of John. He said, to worship in spirit and truth means to worship as one who is spiritually alive, living in the new reality Jesus offers, referred to here as the gift of God which is living water. Worshiping in, in spirit is connected to the fact that God is spirit, and worshiping in truth is connected with Jesus, the Messiah who explains everything. 
So worshiping in spirit and truth is related to the very character of God and the identity of Christ. It is to worship in union with the Father who is spirit and according to the revelation of the Son who is the truth. Indeed, it is to be taken into union with God through the Holy Spirit. When we've truly repented of our sins, when we have received Jesus as our Savior into our hearts and lives and we've been transformed by His Holy Spirit, then we become the temples of God. And since the temple is designed for worship, the Holy Spirit begins working in us to make this temple pleasing and a place of pleasing to our Heavenly Father. And He plants a thirst within us, a desire to give everything in our lives to Jesus. When we truly worship Him, there's an overflowing of love within us, an overwhelming thirst for our Heavenly Father's presence, a thirst for our Heavenly Father's acceptance. And folks, let me tell you something. The more we thirst for God, the more we want to please Him. The more we thirst for God, the more we want others to know Him. Notice what this woman did when Jesus called her to eternal life. Verse 28 through 30. The woman then left her water pot, went into her own city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah? Then they went out of the city, and they came to Jesus. Wow. When Jesus met this woman at Jacob's well, she had come seeking water that could satisfy her physical thirst, but he had come seeking her. And that's the way it is with every person who comes to faith in Jesus. Jesus seeks us. He sets up an event where we hear about him through someone else or a circumstance or read about him in his his word, the Bible. It starts with Jesus seeking us, and it ends with us seeking Jesus. And it begins with us encountering Jesus and recognizing that we need Him more than anything else. Then we repent of our sins and receive Him as Savior and Lord. Then His living water fills us and gives us a desire, a thirst for Him that makes us want to love Him, serve Him, and worship Him. Listen to the heart of David, the shepherd king of Israel who thirsted for God. Oh God, you are my God. Read it with me. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips when I remember you. Is that how you feel about the Lord? Are you excited when you pray, when you hear or read the Bible, when you worship God? David said, when I remember my Lord, my lips cannot be silent. Friends, that's the kind of thirst we need for Jesus, isn't it? He loves us so much. He wants to flood us with His love. When He does, when we receive it, we are never the same. Friends, today let go of those things which you're using or those things which are using you to try and satisfy your thirst and get filled with Jesus. When you do, you're going to have a thirst. You're going to have a passion for Jesus. To hear His voice in the Word. To sense His presence in worship. To experience His blessing and pleasure in what you say and do. You will take a real interest in people who need Jesus. You can always trust Jesus. Jesus knows what you need. He knows 
what you're facing. He suffered on the cross. He died so that you could live. No matter what you're suffering, no matter the trouble you face, no one knows you better than Jesus. And He's going through it with you. And He wants to deliver you. Hanging on the cross, you know what Jesus said? I thirst. I thirst. He understood what you're going through. He understood the woman at the well. He understood every person and the dilemma everybody faces. So that He could say in Matthew 11, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You might be one of those weary people today, weary from your journey of trouble, weary from Satan's constant war against you, weary from that terrible addiction. Jesus is saying, come to me. That's what we see at Jacob's well. An invitation from Jesus, come to me and find help. Come to me and find forgiveness. Come to me and find deliverance. Come to me and find life. Come to me and find peace and hope. Come to me and find a purpose for living. There was a story about a little old lady named, they called her Grandma Jones. She had a close relationship with Jesus. She knew that Jesus wanted her to be a soul winner. She wanted to lead others to Jesus, but she was pretty much homebound now. She didn't drive. She had no family to take her places. But she had a desire to tell others about the love of Jesus. So every day she sat in her rocking chair looking out the living room window at all the people who passed by her house. She knew many of them didn't know Jesus, that they would face an eternity in hell. Grandma Jones had what it took to be a missionary. She had a thirst for God. She looked out her window on the field. She prayed that somehow she'd be able to win somebody to Jesus. But she didn't know how to do that. She had no way to get out that get out. So and very few people came to visit her, but she made up her mind if the Lord would open the door, she'd have the courage to walk through it. So Grandma Jones began to pray that the Lord would bring someone to her to speak about Jesus. After a couple of days of praying and no answer, she got up at four o'clock one morning. She couldn't sleep. She knew her days on earth were numbered and she desperately wanted to lead one person to Jesus before she went to heaven. Would the Lord grant her prayer? She wanted to do something for Jesus. So at four o'clock in the morning, she was up praying and she heard a knock on her door and she looked out her window and there was a deputy from the sheriff's department. She opened the door. The deputy asked if anything was wrong. She he had seen her light in the house and saw her sitting in her chair. She said, Son, I was just praying that Jesus would let me lead somebody to Him before, she die, before I die. And the deputy sat down with Grandma and they began to talk. The deputy talked about all the problems he faced in his job. He talked about the problems he and his wife were having. And after listening to the deputy for several minutes, Grandma Jones said, You need Jesus in your life. And the deputy asked, What can I do? And Grandma Jones led that deputy to faith in Jesus right there in that living room at 4 o'clock in the morning. Grandma Jones was used by Jesus because she had a thirst for Jesus. And somewhere, dear friends, God has a person of interest that He wants you to meet and share His love and truth. They need the well of living water that's flowing in you. And if you follow Jesus, He'll lead you to that person. And that opportunity to help them find that living water in Jesus. And by the way, if you'll do that, the same thing will happen. 
that happened to this woman who thirsted for Jesus. Verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Him because of the word of the woman whose life was changed, who drank living water, and said, He told me everything that I did. The Bible says, God said, And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Would you bow with me? So how's your spiritual life today? Do you thirst for God? Or has your faith become stale and not very exciting? Jesus said, come to me. I'll give you a well of living water that will fill you up and refresh you. Folks, that's what we need. A move of God in our hearts that makes us love Him more and love others more. The more we thirst for Him, the more we're going to want others to know Him. He wants you to experience Him, to meet Him. Maybe Satan's got you focused on one of these old earthly needs, on your dilemma, on your condition. God wants you to be thirsty for Him. Thirst for me, Jesus says. Come to me. Find your joy and peace in me today. All you need starts with a thirst for Jesus. When you thirst for Jesus, He'll change the way you see your circumstances, others, and even the Lord Himself. He has living water for you. But you're the one that has to take your pitcher. And dip into that water. You've got to receive that water. You have to drink that water. Will you do that? I can help you. Why don't you pray with me and say, Dear Jesus, I've heard your word today. You have spoken to me. I need you in my life more than anything. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I believe you died on the cross and shed your blood, and suffered for me, so that I could be forgiven. Please forgive me, Jesus. I believe you rose from the dead, and you have life you want to give me. Today I stand before you, Jesus, with an open vessel, saying, fill me with your living water. Whatever you want for me, Jesus, I want it all. Give it all to me, Lord. Because I give all of myself to you. And I promise this day to follow you the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Boy, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you sought God and He heard you, then His Holy Spirit's come into your life, and it's a new day for you. Now, live, live that life before others. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. I know it's true, Lord, It's for what it's done in my life. I want my testimony to be before others. I want people to see Jesus in me. And I want to introduce people to Jesus as long as I live. Give me opportunities this week, Lord, to let people know about you. And Lord, I pray that I'll always, like David said, I'll always be ready to give you thanks whenever I remember you. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we sing together. I have decided to follow Jesus. While we're at the, I'm at the front, us. I'll be glad to pray for you any way I can. While we sing. I have decided.
to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turn.